Welcome back to 5050 Films. I'm Autumn. And I'm Peter. We are mostly back to our regular scheduled, regularly scheduled programming. Um, but Peter gave us a little bit of a twist prompt this week. Uh, do you want to go ahead and explain what that was? I just... Um, I, I, I was thinking that we could probably do something like it's a little bit of a theme... Not too crazy. Let me pause right here. I will say that Peter has gone on the record and told me that he likes picking the movie first so that there doesn't have to be pressure to have a theme because he used to feel that when he picked the second one. Yeah. And here he is making up themes Yeah. for no reason. Well, I wanted to make a theme, and I thought that it would be kind of cool if, since we're back to normal, um, we could try to pick a movie that we each thought the other person would like. Also, we had kind of a bum week last week, so, you know... Figured we'd spice it up and pick something good. And it almost worked. I mean, it worked. It worked as a, you know, it worked pretty good. Um, Autumn, if, if we were going to crown a winner for this, it would definitely be Autumn. Um, because we liked the movie that she picked. Both of us liked it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I certainly liked it better than she liked the one that I picked. Right? But so, as a concept, yeah, I, we both did it right. Yeah, so. we, we we both on paper did this perfectly correct. Yes, and and we both, I mean, because the the idea of the theme was pick something that you think the other person would like. We both succeeded. Yes, I do feel particularly victorious. Oh yes, go uh, ahead. <laughs> anyway, so Peter decided to check one of the classic rom coms we've been meaning to watch off our list. Mm -hmm. He picks Sleepless in Seattle and he is going to give you our, our blurb now. <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle is a romantic comedy from 1993 starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It is a Nora Ephron film. The movie begins with Sam Baldwin, played by Hanks, moving across the country with his son Jonah after his wife passed away. His son calls into a radio show and the host ends up roping Sam into talking about his wife and tries to get him into dating again. Meanwhile, women across the country fall in love with Sam during the radio broadcast, including Annie Reed, who has just gotten engaged to her fiancé, Walter, played by Bill Pullman. By the end of the movie, Jonah has forced his father's hand by stealing away across the country to see if he can meet Annie on top of the Empire State Building, a detail from Annie's favorite movie, that I don't remember the name of, that she suggested in a letter. Right before the credits roll, Sam and Annie meet, and it is portrayed as a love-at-first-contact sort of moment. They'd already seen each other before, and there was definitely that attraction at first sight, but they didn't really talk. They shared, like, a word to each other mm -hmm. before she almost got hit by a truck. She's standing in the tree like an idiot. Well, there's a reason you don't remember the name of her favorite movie. I don't remember it either, but they literally only say it one time. They call it that movie. Yeah. Like, a ton. From that movie? Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, and everyone seems to know this movie, but they only say the name one time, and I can't even exactly remember the the context. Um, Do you remember that movie? No. But someone was giving, like, a plot synopsis, and someone was like, oh, like, from An Affair to Remember. Yeah, or, it's An Affair to Remember. Is that what it is? Ha! <laughs> um... But they, they name drop it only one time, but they reference it throughout yeah. the entire movie. And if you remember, actually a real movie from okay. 1957, starring Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr, um, which we could watch at some point if we felt like it. It's two hours long, and it is a romance drama. Um, I don't think... Uh, yeah, this one, that actually might be pretty good. Uh, because based on the quick synopsis that Wikipedia has for it on the Google search, um, it is not a long-distance uh, courting movie. We haven't really watched anything from the 50s either, have we? No. So um, that would be fun. We, we are still, and this is a, really a rut, but we are still in a rut of watching relatively recent movies. Um, I remember wasn't this most recent halfway point it was last year's halfway point where i said i wanted to watch some older stuff and get some of the like cinema films in there we really didn't do much of that at all no 
Um, and I, I, I'd love to, to, to get into that and, like, start watching some more. We, I guess we do have some, you know, as we get closer to the Christmas season, we'll probably watch a Christmas movie or two or ten or however many Autumn puts in the list and however many I end up picking because I feel like it's the season. Um, I don't remember the last time I've ever seen Miracle on 34th Street. I know that's an older movie, and we could definitely, it's black and white. So we could definitely yeah. watch that one. I'd like to do that. Um, we've all seen It's a Wonderful Life before. So. Yes. Um, we can't really watch that again for the project, but great film, old film, you know, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, you are rambling. <laughs> yeah, but that's what a podcast is for, it's to hear the, the ramblings and delusions of your hosts. Anyway, um, back to Sleepless in Seattle. I gave this movie two stars and Peter gave it three stars. It's interesting because we're kind of going back in time here. So last year we watched You've Got Mail which stars Hanks and Ryan and is kind of a similar plot line in a way. People who don't really know each other um, yes. falling in love, essentially. Except in You've Got Mail, they actually meet each other and then there's this whole, like... Yeah, they do know each other. <laughs> and, yeah, and then... But they still don't know that the people they're talking to are each other. Yeah. Until one of them figures it out and the other one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. This movie actually came out first so i believe yes. you've got mail was 98 yes. and this one's 93 yeah um and my major gripe with this movie is that we are as an audience being asked to root for two people who don't know each other have never met and who one of whom is stalking the yes. other one and there is nothing romantic about that no. to me <laughs> i i think and I, we can kind of get into it as sort of the elephant in the room here. I, when we were we, so we had we had uh, started this before it was our second take right now, mm -hmm. um, and we had we had we had wanted to pause, and then we just figured we'd delete the whole thing because it wasn't as much of a pause as that we accidentally stopped the recording. Um, but uh, we were going to look and figure out the sort of relationships between the movies and like what came out first, what came out. You know, and it makes sense for this to have come out before you've got mail, um, because you've got mail was like email error, and this is like right. sort of, like a distinctive like letter you know, writing, yeah, letter yeah. writing radio show era. So, I think the problem and the reason we didn't like this movie. Okay, first off, I th I gave it three stars. I thought it was fine. It's interesting because Peter and I both, before even realizing that it was the exact, I mean, we knew. Um, Tom Hanks, but we didn't necessarily make the Meg Ryan connection. Yeah. Before we knew it was the same cast for both, we were automatically basing our rating off of You've Got Mail. For me, it was a, I liked You've Got Mail a little bit more than this one, so I need to figure out what that rating was so I can give this a little bit higher. And for Peter, it was the opposite. Yeah. It was like, I like Sleepless in Seattle a little bit more than You've Got Mail, so I need to know what my rating is for that, so I, I can found, rate this higher. I found You've Got Mail to be predatory in a way that I did not think this movie was, even though she is stalking him, technically. <laughs> Interesting um, take. I think because <laughs> because in You've Got Mail, uh, he, like, knows that he's courting this woman and is also, at the same time, destroying her livelihood. And I thought that was completely, like, bonkers off the wall. Like, why would you want to watch this? But... Um, what I've come to the, the conclusion of, and I haven't told Autumn this yet, is I think these movies aren't as good as When Harry Met Sally, which is 89, mm -hmm. right? Which also is a Nora Ephron movie. Right. These movies aren't as good because Nora Ephron directed them. Rob Reiner directed When Harry Met Sally. Rob Reiner is in this movie, of course, as a character. Right. I mean, I'm not seeing anything about her directorial capabilities because she also directed in 2008, four years before she died, Julia and Julie, um, which is the Julia Child movie, mm -hmm. right? Where like Amy Adams and like is like copying all. Of... Have you ever seen this? I have. We should watch this. Is it's, it Amy it's Adams? Very good. Amy Adams is the. I'm pretty sure Amy Adams is the main character. Yeah, and she's copying all these recipes that Julia Child made, and she's watching her show and she's reading her cookbook, mm -hmm. um, and it's very, it's very good. Um, that movie, however, is more of like a. What's the female version of bromance? I don't know. <laughs> Friendship. Yeah, I guess you know because it, 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 it's this, this weird like you know it, it's it's 
it is still a rom-com, but it's not as, like, focused on the romantic relationship between a man and a woman, right? Okay. And, like, for some reason, I feel like Nora Ephron probably writes these very well, because, of course, she was one of the writers alongside Rob Reiner for When Harry Met Sally, which is, you wouldn't, is that, would you call that your favorite romance movie you've ever seen? Yeah, that is, yeah. like, the standard. Yeah, for me, that is also my favorite romance movie of all time. Um, I think it beats out Love Actually. I know you don't like Love Actually, but, Not like, really, but I it's really been like a long Love time. Actually. But, and this is, this is also kind of a tangent, because we're talking, but this, it, this is more relevant to talking about 50s movies. But, like, I, I, I feel like, like, there's just something about her directorial style, um, or the fact that, that maybe, um, with her writing and someone else directing, um, the, the director might be, like, reining stuff in or, like, changing things, and maybe Rob Reiner's vision for When Harry Met Sally, kind of, like, because, like, you know, you know, there's always those, like, differences, and you'll see it in the, you know, the end product is, is the product of both the writer's writing and the right. director's vision, right? And I feel like if they're both, like, the same person, sometimes that, like, that that makes sense for this sort of, like, reason, like, we're just like, ah, I just don't like this. Like, it's not good. Like, whereas when Harry met Sally, same yeah, writer. Yeah, the epitome of what the romantic comedy should be. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It also might just be because these are two, like, weird distance romances that are, like, sort of reliant on the technology of the time. Um, yeah. So, like, which, period pieces as well as, like, romance shows. Which I want to like. I want to yeah. like that aspect of it. Because there is something, something that's, like, kind of, I don't know, if there's a word for, like, nostalgia for something you didn't necessarily experience you know because yeah. i was not in my 30s in the 90s no, <laughs> i yeah. was only born at the very end of them but like this idea of like oh if you are in the car somewhere you are going to be flipping through the radio channels the different stations and trying to find something to listen to or like you've got this big bulky computer or this landline like there are things about that that are so like i don't know like beautifully nostalgic but it didn't it, it didn't add to either Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail in the way that I kind of wanted it to. Yeah. And I feel like that's because those things only really work if they are more in the background. Like, I think if you draw too much attention to them, there's more ways for that to, like, kind of go wrong. Yeah. If that makes sense, which it definitely did in You've Got Mail. Well, it dates it. It dates yeah. it, right? Like... Um, but I want it to date it. Yeah, I want it to date it, but I don't want it to date it so hard that it's like I can't really relate to this because I never okay. watched it. So like, like, and we can we can kind of compare it. Since now we've watched so many movies for this project, um, not to mention the podcast, um, uh, click click boom, tick tick boom, tick tick boom, <laughs> click, click, a song. tick tick boom, right? Period piece. Yes. Late nineties. Yes. This old is, console computers. For anyone right? who who didn't um, watch it, this is the... Um, it's the Andrew a, Garfield movie. It's an Andrew Garfield musical on Netflix, um, yes. and it is about Jonath Jonathan Larson, yes. who wrote Rent. Yes, fantastic movie. Yes, but right. it's like it's kind of like a biopic. Yeah. A biopic musical. Yeah, biopic musical, so... We and so it's like showing you know, the period because it's like ninety nine, yes. right? Yeah. And we're seeing his like Apple II and these all these old computers, and it looks like it's nineteen ninety nine. And you know, there's the AIDS crisis and everything like that, but they're not. You know, the the main plot device isn't his Apple II computer. It's just something we see him typing on to like yeah. make his screenplays, right? Whereas with these movies, this is nineteen ninety three, made in ninety three, mm -hmm. right? Internet doesn't really click in until like the late '90s, mid '90s, '95-ish, you know. So like, <laughs> she's using these like search systems to like stalk him, but it, like you know, it smacks of like older, older stuff like '80s era, right? Yeah. Late '80s, you know, like these like like hacker like she's <laughs> she's basically like. So if 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 you did what she does to find someone um i believe because doesn't she call people within with different stories and ask about this guy yeah she calls herself a journalist or someplace or says she's doing a piece on something or she i believe she else. is a journalist, she is a journalist but she's using her position to find out things yes. that are not for her job 
we would call that social engineering, and it's a form of phishing to get oh, people's okay. personal information. Um, that is <laughs> like interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and and that's like, you know, tantamount to crime, right? Um, but you know, back in '93, it was just a oh, she's using her resources to find this man. And it's like, and it's like you know, it's it's not bad at all. It's been 30 years since this movie came out, basically. So like. But I just don't understand her motivation. Like, she hears him on the radio. This dude sounds dreamy and, and so intelligent. And Yeah, and he has a son. And that makes it even creepier. And that's another thing I couldn't get behind is all these women. Because she's not the only one who's, like, trying to find Sam to get with Sam. As far as we know, she's the only one who, like, shows up at his house and watches him play in his backyard. Um, but he has a little boy. Like, what the hell? So, I was wondering about some definitions. Because, you know, so we're not talking about this movie a whole lot. We're talking about stuff around the movie, kind of, right? So, if you are, if, if, so say he, say Tom Hanks marries Meg Ryan in this instance. You mean Sam? Sam marries Annie, Annie right? Okay. Does she become Jonah's stepmom? Yeah. Is it step? Even, yeah. Even after? Yeah, even after death. Okay, so there's like a special, like, no. you know, designation for... It's still step. Yeah, okay. Is is his former wife referred to as his ex-wife? That I don't know. That's why I, I wanted to type that when I was doing my thing. I was like, that doesn't sound right. I feel like ex-wife is divorce. Like, I feel like people... His widow? No, because widow is the one who he's survives. The he's the widower. His, like... Uh, I have no I, idea. I feel like they would say, like, deceased wife. Yeah, former wife. First wife. Yeah, first wife. I just, I was very strange, and, and so, like, all these women are, like, you know, they're all pining for him, and they, they're all, like, and, like, but, like, I, I, is, isn't it, like, a thing that, like, people are usually more hesitant to date somebody who has kids? How would we know? At all. We haven't dated anybody I know, else but, like, just from everything, everything ever. you've seen and everything, it's, like, usually, like, uh, I don't know if I, like, I don't know if I can, yeah, although like, I will say, or whatever. In the in the book community, yeah. it is a like popular single dad is a popular romance yes, trope. That's true. And I think that's like kind of where that flips it on its head where like if it was a woman, I feel like that would be like, whoa, so taboo. But for for it being a single father, it's like socially acceptable for that to be a romance yeah. plot line. And I, f- I feel like that's messed up for its own reasons. It is messed up. <laughs> um, I feel like the, uh, the, probably some of the rationale behind that mentally is the like, you can only really be a single father if A, your wife dies, mm-hmm. or B, your wife is so like mentally or criminally strung out that you have the kid. Yeah. Right? So like, there's probably that like that like oh you had to be the good parent or poor you your wife passed away. That's a good point. For men, it is like you had to be the good parent yeah. because it was a lot easier for you to choose. Oh to yeah. just ditch. Oh you, you, know? you choose a ditch or the court system would just rule against you if your wife was even remotely you right, know, competent. Right. right. Like you he he couldn't have gotten divorced and ended up single father really. Yeah. Especially in the nineties, like he oh, probably yeah. would have just been like the. You know, he'd come and visit if, if they had a good relationship or, you yeah. know, there's if there was a bad break, he would have just been, you know, kicked out of the picture. And then, I guess, you know, from the, like, the sort of more messed up perspective, like, you know, guys can get a woman, preg- a woman pregnant and just leave. Yeah. You know? They can just dip. Or you can't get a man pregnant and he can end up with a child later, you know. There has to have been some sort of, you know, full commitment for that to have happened. Yeah. You know why it's hard for us to, like, actually talk about this movie is because... We have two totally separate storylines that don't merge until the very end of yeah, the yeah, movie. Exactly. It's like, exactly. how do you talk about... They both go about, live their own lives, and then they meet at the Empire State Building. They hold hands, and we're meant to believe that that's... That. It's kismet. But I was never rooting for them. I, I mean, I actually, I shouldn't say never. I was very much, when she was... And Peter pointed this out in our first take of, yeah, <laughs> of this. Yeah. Like, when she was driving in the car, hears him on the radio for the very first time, and the whole rest of the movie hasn't happened yet, and anything could, could happen, I was very much like, I would like to see where this goes. I'm intrigued. 
But then as soon as it becomes like, I'm going to hire a private investigator to take pictures of yeah, him. Yeah, we're like, okay, yeah, you're, find out you're where a he freak lives, lady. Like, watch him play with his son on the beach. And then she, like, goes back. So she sees him. They see each other. She gets in her car. She drives back to Baltimore. Or she flies back to Baltimore. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to stay with my fiancé now because clearly that didn't work. Like, what didn't work? Yeah, what didn't work? You you stood in the middle of traffic, almost got hit by a semi, and then just left? Like, that's like, I mean, maybe that's just some insane social anxiety or something right there. Or just If she had insane social anxiety, she would not have flown yeah, exactly. to Seattle to meet somebody she never she, met. She must have just been like, oh, shit, what the fuck am I doing right now? Like, yeah. why, why am I here? Anyway, like... Like like Autumn said, like the moment where I was where I thought was most promising is like during the part she's driving home, she stops at a diner, mm-hmm. which is something that doesn't happen anymore, which is such a shame. I love for diners to still exist in America, but gas stations have superseded them in capability of making food at all hours of the night. So <laughs> here we are. Um, like she stops in a diner to get like some coffee or something, right? And. And the two women in the diner are also listening to the same brackets, and they're talking. They've like you know ephemerally fallen in love with him, you know, mm-hmm. and that like they're like, oh, he's so dreamy sounding moment. Um, and she's like, wait, turn it up, you know. It's just like this this moment where they're all kind of like you know that community aspect yeah. of it is like really played into the good parts of having the radio show be a primary yes. part of of the movie i don't know and it was disappointing um peter and i both knew about the whole like they're gonna meet at the top of the empire state building in new york thing yeah but it is a little bit disappointing to have a movie called sleepless in seattle which granted it is called that because that's what the radio host calls Mm -hmm. him um in like a dear abby sort of way yeah yeah um i'm glad you said that because i couldn't remember what what the name of that was um but it, it just would have been so much more satisfying for that ending to have taken place in Seattle. <laughs> and for us to have maybe, like, gotten to see some more of Seattle. Because there's some really... The house that he and his son moved to is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I mean, oh my god. Seattle has its own giant building. He could have just I said, know, I know. me at the observation deck on top of the Space Needle. Yeah. And it would have still been a reference to an affair to remember. Yeah. But it would have been in Seattle. Yeah. They go to the fish market a couple times, which I thought was really cool, because I've been to that fish market, like, as a kid. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, I think I've been to this fish market. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. And I was like, you went to Seattle, Mom? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Sometime during the Bush presidency. <laughs> which was so funny, because wasn't there a part in the movie where someone referenced time with a pre- pre- with a pregnancy, with a presidency? Well, yeah, people reference time as a presidency yeah, all the time. which is so funny. I don't know what year it was, but at some point in the eight years we had... George W. Bush for president. I went to Seattle. All right. Got to go to Olympic National Forest, all that kind of stuff. It was great. <sighs> yeah. I, th- I think that pretty much covers it. For me, I feel like this could have been potentially, maybe. No, never mind. I was going to say maybe it could have been a three star, but, but it disappointed me. But honestly, this movie just pissed me off. And I like ranted to my mom about it a little bit, and she said something that I think is gonna like stick with me when I think about this movie and that was like I liked it at the time but also we didn't have as many options for movies at the time in as like now we have so many like wonderful interesting diverse rom-coms set in different places with different people it's not these cookie cutter like white blonde lady and white brunette man it's like the cookie cutter of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Seriously. Which which apparently was so good at the time, she did it twice. Yeah. <laughs> she went, you know what, I'll just say... Cut her hair short, it all works out. Everyone will be shocked to hear that I have not watched any movies on my own. However, I'm going to be continuing my Marvel rewatch with my friend Michaela either next week or the week after. Um... We will be jumping back into the Loki show, but what this does mean is I will have some movies in the future. So, I'm looking forward to being able to start the media break without talking about my failures. <laughs> Did you watch anything? Um... Movies? I... No, I don't think so. No. What have we been watching together on TV? Um, 
Ted Lasso season three. What are you thinking about it? It's pretty good. It's so good. I love Ted Lasso. I love Roy Kent. I would die for Roy Kent. <laughs> I love everything about him. I love the other team members, too. Like, I love how <sighs> they've just sort of all developed to, like, you know, just be... That's exactly it. Like, they've they've done such good character development on all of them. Even the ones who, like, aren't front and center, like Isaac. Like, they're still, like, you're you're really invested in them and you want them to do well because you know every single player and you know what's at stake for them and it just uh and i never peter and i aren't like big sports fans we don't really watch sports but i get so invested in these fake soccer matches like i just am so invested in we just watched and i won't spoil it but we just watched the best goal the other night um <laughs> in oh, one of the yeah. games like I literally like was so excited um but yeah so Ted Lasso is what we've been watching that's pretty much it for TV together um separately I've been trying to get back into Cheers slowly but surely something happened at the end of season two and then the beginning of season three started very differently and it was just kind of like jarring and it makes it hard to get back into it mm. um because the story has changed so much um which is just wild because it's literally like almost all of the show is just one location it's just cheers just the bar um but the character relationships have changed so much that it feels like such a different story um so i really need to like watch more get into it more um so that i don't feel like i'm in such a rut with it because i do really enjoy it and i want to watch the whole show um now you are forgetting that we did watch tignataro's comedy one of oh, comedy specials yes there. happy yeah. to be here is, yeah. is what that was. Um, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. But it's not one that's, like, super going to stand mm-hmm. out to me, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, and we, we heard about, uh, on a podcast we were listening to um, on the way home, uh, Paul Shear was talking about how, like, you can't, like, seeing a comic in person is just infinitely funnier than seeing their special which makes me excited for Russell Howard because we were dying on that couch yeah. watching that special. And if he's any, if the energy is any like crazier in the theater, I'm gonna be like, you know, yeah. Everyone else better think he's funny because I'm gonna be cackling <laughs> the whole time. Well, this is the one instance where if you're the only one laughing in the room, I will not be elbowing you because we paid good money for <laughs> us to be laughing in that room. So. <laughs> deal, actually, honestly. Yeah, yeah. The, anyway, that's October. We're really excited for that. Yeah. Um, in take special, she did have a pretty good uh, bit at the end. Um. Just the constant like. Is she is she lying yeah, about the Indigo yeah, Girls coming this out? Great, yeah. Is she lying? He's like, she's like, you know, I promised her right back here. Come on, Indigo Girls. And then no one would come out. She'd be like, oh, oh, they're kidding. She dropped her guitar. Hold on. <laughs> and then eventually the Indigo Girls did come out. Like but just long enough that you were like, oh my gosh, stop it. Like they're like, not this here. This bit is so long. Yeah. And they walk out and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It had gotten to the point where. Definitely on purpose. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's funny. We we saw I I picked her special. I got to pick the special this yes, time. Yes, we had just seen her in Instant Family. She yeah. plays one of the like social workers. The more like sarcastic slow, yeah, social worker. Yeah, very serious but also sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh, I I saw I was like, you know what? I I'd, I'd like to see her do a, a you know, an hour of stand up. That sounds pretty interesting. Um cuz I mean, like, I think, well, I don't remember the, the other option. I think I was going to pick Hassan Minaj, which I've never seen, but. I kind of want to watch I want to watch his stuff. Like, I, I, one of his specials just looks, like, entertaining. Like, it's mm-hmm. going to be a good one. Uh, but, yeah. So we did watch that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, I finished the Duggar Family Secrets documentary, yeah. um, Happy Shiny People. Um, it was very, it, it, it was hard to watch towards the end. Um, just because in, in these very, um, I I don't know, in these very restrictive religious cults, there is always, in my experience from having, um, done some, some deep dives into a few of them, there has always been, like, a history of sexual abuse, particularly towards children, which is really hard to, to watch and, and listen about, and, you know, I felt pretty gross when I finish that but i also think that the the duggar sister who did the documentary was like incredibly brave to like go on there and talk about 
um, everything that's happened to her. And I think I said this before, I think the most interesting perspective that was on there was one of their cousins um, was giving her feedback. So she had like grown up around them, but not in the household. And it was just a very interesting take. Um, one of the most interesting things about the documentary was you had all of these kids who had grown up um, the what they followed was called the Institute of Basic Life Principles, IBLP. Um, and it was, we were getting the perspective for, from a lot of adults who were children when 19 Kids and Counting came out and were saying, it is so weird to see how I'm living being put on TV and glorified in this way when I know that kids who are raised this way are, you know, abused at home, you know, don't spare the rod, they have more kids than they can handle, and then they expect the older kids to raise the younger kids, so you've got, you know, 11-year-olds raising their infant siblings, and yeah, it was wild, it was really wild, um, I had never seen 19 Kids and Counting, um, I never would have and will not anyway, but, um, yeah, yeah. I watched that as well. Yeah, I didn't watch anything, but speaking of um, people in restrictive religious uh, groups, I read a Brandon Sanderson book over the weekend, or over the week. Yeah, dive right um, into books. That's what's next anyway. Yeah. Um, I want to do it first this time because I actually have books to talk about. And, uh, you have quite you a few, You always talk you? about your books. And I, I think I have two. Yeah, usually you have zero. Don't you have three? What would be the third one? Oh, I guess you... You have three. N.K. Jemison. Murder, Young oh, Lawyer. Yeah, you're right. I did read, I read three books last week. Um, first time I've read three books in a week since my grad degree, and I was much happier with this time than I <laughs> So I started reading. First I started reading Murder, Your Employer, read through like the, the preface, basically, and then <laughs> flipped over and switched to N.K. Jemison's uh, The Fifth Season. The Fifth Season. I almost forgot the name of the book. You're welcome. Um... That book is angry. She's so angry. Um, can I spoil anything? Because you kind of wanted to read this. Um, well, you shouldn't spoil anything in case anybody who's listening wants to read it. But I probably won't read it because you said part of it's in second person. That's a big ick for me. There's, there's two perspectives in this book. One of them is second person. Um, and... That is the. Oh man, I really, I really need to spoil this in order to, to properly talk about it. That's the problem. So the, this this book is has a very interesting conceit. It's structured very interestingly. The only negative is that second person thing, and I think it's done for a reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if the this is a trilogy, if the second book in the trilogy of of, of with the name of which I don't know. Um, doesn't have it in second person or is fully in second person and i'm not entirely sure how they go about it mm -hmm. um but to continue the story it, it either might not be necessary or the author might she might go in a different direction in order to continue telling it so i don't know about that it was very cool um i'll talk about the the concept of the world rather than the storytelling because the storytelling i think is probably one of the more interesting parts of it um, that's not true. Um, but it's, it's like the interesting things about the book, mm -hmm. right? Um, the story itself is very cool. Uh, it is set on like a, like an alternate earth, right? Um, I don't know how alternate, and they're going to do that in the second book. It also might just be normal earth and with some like horrible, some cataclysm at some point happened. And by the end of the book, you can kind of guess. Um, towards the end of the book, and then at the end of the book, they she basically just pulls the lead the whole way out of the ground and goes, "Here it is," <laughs> in like the last sentence, um, and you're like, "I already knew that. I figured that out like a quarter of the book ago. That's awesome." Uh, there's this is an Earth where um, essentially Pangaea has reformed, right? Um, it is it, it, there is one massive continent. Uh, called stillness, and this is a this is a this is a like, you know, uh, ironic name because it is a in a hotbed of geological activity, right? Um, the idea of seasons, right? Um, are um, of course there are the normal seasons: spring, summer, winter, autumn, you know. Um, but 
of the fifth season is Cataclysm, essentially. And these happen every... At indeterminate periods throughout his, throughout recorded history. There's like 2,000... or There's a couple thousand years of recorded history that they talk about. Um, and each of these seasons is some horrible, messed-up geologic event that is essentially like a small apocalypse, right? And it sort of wipes everything. Um, everybody who's surviving is like barely surviving like it, there'll be like these little micro like 10 year apocalypses every like 100 or so years couple hundred years um and like i think the example of one of them was some geologic event happened um which shifted the direction of true north um and all the birds because birds rely on north to get to where they need to go uh the birds and insects um went to the wrong place and didn't fertilize any of the crops and then there was a massive famine for like four years while the birds figured everything out and figured out where all the food was again. So, like, that was, that's, like, that's, like, the one I remember. There were a bunch of other ones, like, fungal blooms and stuff, uh, you know, just super volcanoes erupting. Usually, usually always prefaced by a super volcano of some sort going off or some tectonic plate shift that screws up everything. The other thing that's cool about the book and I shouldn't talk about it too much longer because I have two other books to talk about, although I think I can uh, more succinctly summarize those. This is the one I'm kind of the most excited to read the sequel of. Um, there are people now, there's there's normal people, right? And there's people called origins. Mm -hmm. And origins are uh, people who have, the, they have, they have an extra organ in the back of their skull um, that lets them feel seismic vibrations and uh, like the plate tectonics of the world um, and sort of and like pull from nature in order to affect that kind of stuff. The book, the, the very first scene in the book is an origin um, reaching deep into a hot spot of the earth and basically destroying the capital city. It's like the very first scene of the book because um, he's just like fed up, right? Uh, he's been wronged horribly, you know, um, and he just basically just erupts a super volcano directly beneath the capital city and just destroys everything. Um, and, and so, like, that's the, that's the power they have. They can harness, like, like, their power comes from life around them and the heat of the earth, essentially. Um, so they, they have, like, this natural ability. There's also, you know, there's some fantasy creatures. There's these, these there's a creature called, I, I think it's a stone eater, Right. Um, and it's, it is a person who has been born of the earth, essentially, out of, like, an egg made of, like, chalcedony or something. Um, and they're, like, made of, of stone, and they eat rock, essentially. Um, like, it's, it, it's very complicated. And, like, Father Earth, because we've gendered the earth as male now, um, is, like, the, supposedly those are born of Father Earth um, as punishment for quote killing the earth's son um son is in like child not mm -hmm. as in the sun the sun is obviously still there or else the earth would just be a frozen ball floating through space it's very cool the the whole concept of orogeny is like a like as their like magic and like having all their casters just be people who can like quell quakes and stuff like if like they don't they call them shakes um, and like they can just like stop them and like redirect things and it can like re redirect flow so tsunamis don't hit the coast and stuff like that and uh, it, it's very interesting but it's so angry because it's like it's this like you know oppression fight because all the all the origins are like basically enslaved to the government or killed right um, and they are made to do you know work to either maintain the uh the everything anyway this book is the beginning of a new season a oh, new, okay. like period of destruction and that's the destruction of the capital city which is so powerful that it essentially rips a magma vent across the entire continent mm -hmm. <laughs> and splits it in half kind of um it's it's really neat it's really interesting and it seems pretty cool and Kate jellison is kind of known for her very like original unique yeah. ideas yeah. i read the city we became by her um and yeah just you just don't read anything like her yeah. stuff it was super neat and i i do like if you if you think you can get past one of the perspectives being said as you instead of the other thing which 
after finishing it, it, it makes sense why that was like that and what, you know. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to yeah. have you spoil it for me while we're done recording. Okay. So, so what else did you read? Either way, this is gonna I read... This the longest media break ever. Yes, oh it gosh. is. I read Murder Your Employer, The McMaster's Guide to Homicide. Very cool, like, late 1950s sort of um, period piece uh, that follows three of the... Um, students at the McMaster school to learn how to murder somebody right um the, which is a a fictional school uh, that that is like a way to make they make their students into what they call deletionists to remove somebody from the planet who is causing more harm than good uh generally generally there's an aspect of causing harm to themselves right which is why they and make it look like an accident is the idea either an accident or an unsolvable crime is the whole point of mm-hmm. of committing a correct a, a, a deletion or or completing their thesis as is what as what they're uh, what they call it because it's uses a lot of school parlance. It was very fun. I gave it a five out of five. If I'm Did gonna, you if really? Yeah, I really liked that book. It was very good and it, it just sort of flowed real nice too. And it has this whole like, you know, the the way it's sort of set out is um, one of the main characters is Cliff Iverson. There's three like main people you follow. Um, and then there's, you also sort of follow the dean of the mm-hmm. school as he like kind of talks about, he does their like performance evaluations and stuff. Um, Cliff wants to murder his employer. He wants to murder, um, I think that guy's last name is Fiedler, right? Um, he's, he, he is basically, uh, Cliff was a, aerospace engineer he was making a plane for Woltan Industries right um, and they, they designed this plane and his boss made changes to the design that would create a fatal flaw in the system that wouldn't be noticeable until one of the planes at least had dropped out of the sky they wouldn't have no one would have figured it out if they weren't paying attention until that flight crew lost all power and you know killed the entire all the passengers um, and, and this guy's also like a monster right like like, you know, he, he like, he, he's, like, sexually abusing all the female co-workers at this place. Um, he's, he, like, drives uh, Cliff's best friend to either, it, it's unsure if he's suicide or been murdered or something like that. And Cliff has had it. Um, so, he, in the, like, the very beginning scene is Cliff attempting to take this man's life by pushing him in front of a train. And then um, getting caught immediately by the police, who are actually two former cops that now work for the McMaster's school that are like, we saved him. This was incredibly sloppy. You would have been found out like immediately. Like they would have caught you. You're, you're a dummy. Come here. We'll teach you how to do it for real. Um, and then by the end of the move, by the end of the book, it's, it's, it's just so good. It's, it's so well done. Most of it's written. Like he is writing a diary entry to his sponsor, right? The person who was paid (laughs) for his tuition to go to the school. Um, it, it's just, it's so good. It's so fun. The third book I read was The Frugal Wizard's Guide to Surviving Medieval England, I believe, was the full title. I might have messed that up a little bit. I know it's The Frugal Wizard's Guide, and it's Medieval England, Um, and that's by Brandon Sanderson. One of his secret projects. Yeah, he had, it was a Kickstarter book, actually, um, that he, he had like, it had been like kicking around his head for a while, he kind of finally made form to it. That was fun. I think I think it was fun. I don't think there should be a sequel to it. I don't. Think, I don't think there will be. Um, yeah, I think much like the, the McMaster's book, I don't think there will be a sequel to it. I think all his secret projects are supposed to be standalones. Yeah. yeah, and it was fun. It, that's like a. It's it's the story of like what if a guy from like a cyberpunk sort of era where people have like augments and stuff and like little computers embedded in their heads and shit like that, um, found himself um, in what is essentially. Uh, Anglo-Saxon era England, right? Like Viking-esque dudes, you know, small little fiefdoms, no castles. We're not there yet. Um, but like, it, it, it was very cool to like to see this like person with like modern. It, it, it's a very it's much very much Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court kind of story, right? Um, but with the added idea that this is he didn't get thrown back in time. This is a dimension, and the the, the idea is that the frugal wizard. Um, Fruber Wizards is a company that both sells the books that he's trying to read to figure out what the hell's going on he's amnesia when he shows up and they also own they bought this band of dimensions 
that are theoretically an infinite band, but the, the idea of the band is everything is roughly medieval England, and you can kind of pick stuff out, and sometimes things are weird, and it's not exact, you know, because it's, there are different dimensions, so there's different little bits of history that change. Um, but you basically buy one, you can go live there, and you are, because you have all of the the superpowers that come with having cybernetic augments and things like that, you are a wizard there, is the whole idea. You become a wizard in your own private dimension. Um, and uh, yeah, it, 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 there's a whole little, like, crime story that goes on in this in this setting which is very neat it's very cool um i'd probably i said i'd give it a four out of 4.5 or something like that if i was gonna rate it i don't remember um it was it was it wasn't like perfect um it was a little more pulpy but it was fun it was very fun and i read through it in a day like i finished i started on saturday and finished on saturday at work checked it back in put it back on the shelf (laughs) like i mean it was it was good this one. Um, I'll go through what, what I read pretty quickly because I don't have a ton to write home about. I finished the book She Started It by Sean Gilbert, which was a thriller from Book of the Month about a girl who was horribly bo- bullied in high school, um, inviting the her four bullies to come be her bridesmaids and go on this all-expenses paid trip to a private island. And for some reason they go, um, and then people start dying. Uh, it was incredibly predictable and I don't read thrillers very often so that's like really saying a lot if I was able to predict basically everything that was going to happen um there was nothing really that surprised me um I was intrigued by the idea of following like all unlikable characters but we were in each one's different perspective and they all read exactly the same it was like very hard to remember um who was who until because they were all spending so much time together eventually you'd see they'd be like oh esther and annabelle and tanya and you'd be like oh okay this must be chloe because she's the only one who didn't get named there so this must be her perspective um i gave it two stars i was kind of bummed by it um i definitely will be unhauling it at the end of the year but i do like to keep a hold of my book of the month books at least for a year so that i can take a big picture of all the ones i read yeah (laughs) at the end of the day follow me on bookstagram yellow mouse library um the other book i finished was my audiobook which was other words for home by jasmine morga i want to do a better job of reading some middle grade books particularly as i'm getting ready to transition to be a a long-term substitute ideally in fourth or fifth grade Um, i love talking to the kids about books and i love being able to recommend things to them but i want to be able to recommend new stuff to them as well or newer things i don't want to just be recommending the same stuff they've they've already heard or read or or have had other teachers recommend to them uh so this is a story of judah who has to move with her mother from war-torn syria to the united states and it's all about her just kind of finding herself and growing up and like being proud of her culture in an area where people are you know put trying to shame her for it and um she's just like a really great inspiring character it's a book i definitely want to have a physical copy of for my classroom someday because i think that she's a really like great role model role model for kids um and so i am currently reading i'm listening to the audiobook for pineapple street which i believe the author is jenny jackson but i might be wrong there uh and i'm already convinced it's going to be in my top 10 favorite books of the year it is about a wealthy family wealthy dysfunctional family that is a theme you will hear more about as we talk about our second movie in a minute here um but yeah it's just about this like rich brooklyn family and the girl who marries into it and it's got all these different perspectives but unlike she started it they're all so distinct every character is so clearly themselves and has their own like passions and desires and and drives and oh it's gonna be so good i already i told peter this yesterday i was doing a lot of like housework and chores yesterday and i probably could have listened to 50 percent, but i like cut myself off at 23 percent because i didn't want to like speed through it all and then wish i hadn't uh and then physically i am reading the third book in the scholomance series by naomi novik which is called the golden enclaves this one's a little bit different because the first two books um the last graduate and a deadly education um are set in the scholomance in the school and this one's set outside of it so it's a little bit different there i'm trying to read it quickly because i just got my book club book for my in-person book club which is the last one left by riley sager in the mail so i need to move on to that one next because that meeting's coming up but i think that's it for books peter's just been playing destiny yep And I think that's it for this incredibly long media break.
I decided to kill two birds with one stone. So Peter's prompt of pick a movie that he would like, as well as watching a movie off of my list from my friend Brittany. Um, so if you've listened to the podcast before, you might know that Peter tends to really love Wes Anderson movies. I tend to really hate slash be bored by Wes Anderson movies. But in the case of the Royal Tenenbaums, my friend Brittany said that if you are going to, me specifically, like a Wes Anderson movie, this is the one. So it was the perfect fit to pick for Peter's prompt because he had also told me when I shared Brittany's list with him that he had been meaning to watch it. Anyway, (laughs) so The Royal Tenenbaums is a 2001 comedy drama directed by Wes Anderson and written by the director and Owen Wilson. The movie stars Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, Danny Glover, and Owen Wilson. It is narrated by Alec Baldwin. The Tenenbaums are an incredibly dysfunctional family. The father, Royal, has been out of the picture for over 20 years, but never divorced his wife, his wife, Ethelene. Now, just as Ethel is ready to move on, he comes back into the picture wanting to make amends with his family, but not sure how to do that. So he lies and says that he has stomach cancer. (laughs) Eventually, he is found out and thrown out of the house. His children are adults now facing their own hardships. His son, Chaz, lost his wife in a plane crash and has been overprotective of his two sons, Arya and Uzi, ever since. His adopted daughter, Margo, has never gotten over the fact that Royal insisted on making it clear to everyone he met that she was a adopted, and has found herself feeling trapped in a marriage with a man she does not know if she loves. Richie Tenenbaum went pro in tennis until his career ended during a match where he came to terms with the fact that he has always been in love with his adopted sister. All of the Tenenbaums will have to face their problems head on now that they are all living under the same roof once more. I rated this movie four stars, and Peter gave it a 4.5. Yeah, I... So, okay, I thought that you, did you, what was your feeling, okay, we're going to talk about a different Wes Anderson movie real quick before we actually dive into this one. Um, which ones have we seen together? You didn't like the Darjeeling Limited, you thought it was boring. Right, and we watched the Grand Budapest Hotel together in the early years of us dating, so probably eight to ten years yeah. ago. So I might feel differently about that one okay. now, I'm not sure. How did you like, did you like it alright no. the first time, you didn't like it at all? I didn't like it. I was very bored by it, but I feel like my my tastes have changed yeah. quite a bit. I feel like if we if we for whatever reason would watch that again, you might like it, just because Ray Fiennes is such an animated actor, and he is so entertaining in that one, like <laughs> just just in a, in a everything, you know, everything kind of perspective, and I think that one has a very not necessarily cohesive story, but it like story-wise you can tell like there's like there's a definite like okay you're kind of following this older fellow mm-hmm. that you meet at the very beginning you're following his start at the grand professor hotel it's like a bellhop and it's kind of neat but anyway some of this one i liked this movie a lot i thought it was very good um i have been intending to watch this with my friends i think um because autumn at one point gave me an ultimatum that we were only allowed to watch one Wes Anderson... I'm only allowed to pick one Wes Anderson movie a year, <laughs> right? So now that she's picked one, I can pick another Wes Anderson movie because I don't think I picked one at all last year because I was trying to spare your feelings. Um, I think I might pick, a, I might pick one soon because there are a couple that I really want to see that are, like, you know, available readily. Um, but yeah, I mean... What did you think about this one? Like, what... Because, like, you just... This was... Why did you like this one where... Because I thought it was pretty similar in pacing to some of his other films, right? Um, so, like, what what was different for you about this? You mean it's just your changing tastes? Or was there, like, anything you particularly liked? Or That's a good question. I love complicated family dynamics. Okay. In media, period. That makes a lot of sense. Um, In... Like, I was just talking about that book I started, Pineapple Street. Very similar idea. You've mm. got a, this incredibly wealthy family of one character who's kind of an outsider, which is very much like Owen Wilson's character in this movie. Yeah. Very different from Sasha and Pineapple Street, but, like, this, the same idea. Um... And so that has wor- always worked for me um, in a lot of different ways. I, I also feel like it might have something to do with location. 
So, like, for the Darjeeling uh, Limited. Which is also a complicated family story. Yeah, I just was not as invested in the characters, and I didn't love the train being the The setting. Which I can't say is, like, a a hard rule for me, because I did really enjoy the Murder on the Orient Express, which is Mm. also set in You're not against trains, you just didn't like it It just didn't. It just didn't work for me. Um... But this one very much did, and I think it is because of just the characters that are created here mm-hmm. and their relationships with one another. Um, when Brittany recommended this to me, we were talking on the phone, and I was saying, like, I'm I'm thinking I might pick that one soon, and she said that it was reminiscent of Little Miss Sunshine in a lot of ways, mostly because of the family dynamics. But then she later looked it up on, on Letterboxd, which is like Goodreads for, for movies, um, and that Little Miss Sunshine was recommended for people who enjoyed this movie, which I thought was interesting because they're very different films, but it is that same idea of like you have this really just complicated family dynamic. I do, did I say anything about Little Miss Sunshine being semi-Wes Anderson-esque? I don't think so. Because I, I, Now that you say that, I feel like I might have thought it at least, or maybe yeah. mentioned it I mean, you could have said passing. it, and I just don't I don't remember. think I talked about it on the podcast like that, but I think maybe we were on a walk or something, I kind of compared it a little. I might have. I might not have. I might be me misremembering. But, like, the, when, you, when you said it, that, yeah, I would say Little Miss Sunshine is, is essentially a Wes Anderson movie but not pastel or like it's it's not as as quirky as he does yeah. stuff. But like the beats and like the we gotta run jump to get on the, the on the van every time is very Wes Anderson. Yeah. Right? Like that's all like very much like a that's that's very much a thing he would put in a movie. You know? Yeah. I I think I really enjoyed just the concept of Royal Tenenbaum himself. Right. Okay. What do you um, mean by that? I thought that it was it was entertaining to see a man who at some point was some kind of big shot, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then has just sort of languished away in like a really fancy hotel for about twenty years, um, and suddenly as he's getting closer to the end of his life, because he he doesn't have cancer. He says he has stomach cancer. At one point. He doesn't actually have stomach cancer. But he is talking to doctors. And I think there was probably... I didn't quite grab it. But I think it was... He was definitely like... They were giving him like... You gotta like... You're, you're, you're getting... Like it's bad. Or yeah. something. I mean he does have a heart attack. So it might have just been like a... <laughs> your cholesterol's ass. Or something like that. You know like... You know, we're gonna... Um, and it, he, he gets that like... I... I have been a horrible father for 20 years, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost like the, because he, he's, because they show him as when they're kids, he's like this gruff kind of asshole guy, you know, right? He doesn't make Margot feel like she's part of the family, he you know? He shoots a BB into Chaz's yeah, hand. he shoots a BB into Chaz's hand. When they're on the sand team. And like, and it, he's got, it's, it's been like 20. 22. 22 years. Yeah. And like, it, it feels like just living in the hotel has mellowed him out considerably. And it's it's that like I should I kind of want to reconnect with my family and like. But such a huge part of it is this. The fact that, uh, Ethleen has found somebody mm-hmm. else that she wants yeah. to marry. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not noble. It's not you know. That's what makes him so interesting. Yeah. Is you could almost get behind what he's doing, but he's not doing it for any of the right reasons. Exactly. Like <laughs> he he's trying to reconnect. But it's A, because he's being kicked out of the hotel because he's run out of money. B, because uh, he realizes that um, Don- Donald Glover... Danny, Danny Glover. Glover. Not Donald Glover. Henry. Yeah. The Danny Glover's <laughs> character Henry is in the picture, and he's, like, someone that Ethelian's probably going to marry. Um, and, it, and he just, like, gets into this for all the selfish reasons. And then while he's there, he's like, holy shit, I missed out on these kids' lives. And the, the, the narrator, mm-hmm. you know... It gives us the, you know, when when he says like this past six days has been the best, you know, six days, six days of, my, of my entire life, and then there it is like, and and this moment he realized he meant it. Yeah, <laughs> like, after he said it, he realized it was true. I love that line. That's yeah. gonna be something that I like very much remember from this movie, um, and how they find out he doesn't have stomach cancer is so like, like he can't dispute it. Yeah. You know, because the whole idea is that. 
um, Henry is a widower, and his wife passed away from stomach cancer. And so he, of course, picked the one kind of cancer that there's an expert of in the house who is able to disprove him. One of the things that we didn't realize until the very end of the movie was that there is, at the hotel where um, Royal has been living, one of the uh, bellhops named Dusty is the fake doctor. He, like, yeah. poses as the doctor. I didn't even notice. It didn't make that connection until the very end where he's, like, helping somebody... You yeah. Know, which is really good. And and the fact that after after Royal gets kicked out of the house, the butler, Pagoda, gets kicked out with him because he's been kind of conspiring and helping helping Royal. And so they both get jobs as bellhops at the hotel they just got kicked out of. Yeah. Um, which was very entertaining. The whole plot line what did you think of the plot line of like Margot, uh, Eli, Richie? And Bill Murray. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought it was funny. You know, it, it's like, that's a very Wes Anderson thing to have in a movie, you know, is like this, it's, it's indicative of his, like, earlier stuff, I think, and I'm pretty sure World Tenant Bombs is one of his earlier movies, is like the whole, like, there is like a bit of a love taboo, generally, of it's, some sort. It's interesting the way he goes about it, too, because he makes such a point of, like, Margot is adopted. Margot has never been allowed to... Like, yeah. not know very, like, intensely that she is adopted. Margot does not feel like part of this family. She she does not feel like she is the sister of this man. Yeah, she hasn't been right? allowed to feel yeah. that way. Which makes it, like... It just makes it... It's make one of those technically more... legal things. Right, and I, I am not behind it. But at the same time, like, you can see where the characters are thinking. Like, because you've been given enough background to understand why they might not feel like brother and sister. Because yeah. for some reason they adopted a child and then made her feel like an outsider her whole life. Yeah. Another... Yeah, which is bizarre. <laughs> another line in this movie that, like, really stuck with me and, like, I remembered as I was writing the synopsis was as she's moving out of... She is married to um, Bill Murray's character, who is a psychiatrist. There's this whole side plot where he's, like, testing on this kid Dudley and they're gonna, like... Is Dudley his son? No. <laughs> Why the hell is he there so much he's then? He's there all the time. Good lord. <laughs> I know, he's literally there all the time. Is he an orphan? I have no idea. Or his parents just gave him away for, for testing yeah, or he's something. Like, Dudley has no parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> she, um, she is married to this man. And this is part of the reason Richie's tennis career ends is he sees them together at, at his match and he just can't handle it because he's been in love with her his whole life. But... We, we, as Margot is leaving the house because she's like, I just need to move out. He's like, are you not in love with me anymore? And I, I, I forget what she said. She says something along the lines of like, well, I think I am or probably, probably, or, you know, I, I need to think about it or it's not that simple. Something like, I don't remember the exact wording, but the feeling of it was like very intense in a way of like, I love you. I just don't know yeah. if I love you enough to stick around. Um, that was a really powerful line. Yeah. And then the bit at the end where, you know, the, the whole, they're, they both kind of, kind of like there's a confrontation about their feelings for mm -hmm. each other and she goes we might just have to go on being secretly in love with each other her and richie not yeah her, her and richie of course which which i took to mean she was gonna stick with bill murray i don't or know some bizarre like i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the hell that means but and it's, in the it's like interesting epilogue part all they say about him is that like he and dudley wrote their book yeah. <laughs> It was such a weird side plot, but also very entertaining. Dudley's World. Yeah, Dudley's World. The house was a great setting, the Tenenbaum house. Very cool. Um, great colors, great prop sets. That's, that's every Wes Anderson yeah. movie. The, the setting is always very well done, and there are interesting like shots that pan through things every time. Mm -hmm. right? And for this, it was mostly like through windows and doors and things like that, but... like. In, like, Darjeeling Limited, it's, like, the top-down view of the inside mm -hmm. of the train. Or, um, you didn't watch The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are, like, really cool scenes where it, like, it, like, pulls back and it, you, like, see a cutaway of the boat. Which, to me, looks like the movie set. 
right? They, like, pull it back just far enough that you can see all the rooms are connected of the boat. And, like, as they're walking through the rooms, it, like, tracks and follows them, like, from the cutaway view of the boat and, like, through the boat, which I, which was genius. It was so cool. Um, and, like, I mean, I, you see that a lot. And, 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 you know, especially when he's trying to, like, make a, a specific, like, vehicle the setting or, like, a building the setting. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, being another building is the setting kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that, that about, you know, I think another one you might like is the fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. It's a Wes Anderson movie. Isn't Gwyneth Paltrow in that one? She might be voice somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, fully, uh, it's animated. Yeah. It's like, it's like felt claymation, right? Not clay, but it's like stop motion. Stop motion is what I was looking for. Um, and I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a classic children's story, right? You know, Rolled Doll, right? I think it's Rolled Doll. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, that might be something we could watch uh, that you would find, you know, pretty entertaining because I've heard it's very good. He also did, I believe, The Isle of Dogs, which is like a Japanese, um, it's like a Japanese story. It's another stop motion animation thing with dogs as the main focus. I don't um, trust him with dogs anymore. Oh, yeah. So the one on was, dang it, this was going to be a four-star for me, and I got to knock it down to a two. You didn't, actually. But no. um, there's a dog, Buckley. He was so cute. He's was, was just a cute little beagle hound dog-looking guy. Best friends with Ari and Uzi went everywhere yeah. with them. And he just gets, at the end... Um, Eli runs him over. Eli, Eli slams his car into the front of the house, um, and... Uh, Royal saves Ari. Royal saves Uzi. Ari and Uzi, but Buckley doesn't make it. He's a slow old dog, right? And he just, like, you know. <laughs> Which I thought was maybe a kind of a metaphor a little bit. How so? Um, Because he's a slow old dog, but he's, like, a safe dog, right? You know? He's, like, he's like very low-key. Mm-hmm. Um, and he almost immediately gets replaced um, with uh, spark plug, the a Dalmatian that Royal buys from the firemen who show up for the accident, um, who you know Dalmatians are a very energetic breed, so it was kind of like a for me it was kind of like a oh like the the switch of the dog sort of signifies that the dad's gonna be a little less paranoid and more like open with his sons and more active. I mean the ki- not that the kids weren't active, but they were like not in a kid kind yeah. of way. <laughs> they weren't doing fun stuff. They were like being forced to exercise and, like, do, like, like fitness regimen stuff instead of actually being kids. So I kind of, I, I don't know. That's what I kind of drew from, like, the switching of, of the dog being, like, an old slow yeah. boy to a, like, energetic, like, we're going to go do some fun stuff. Like, Dalmatians are crazy. I think one of the best scenes in this movie is we see at one point Royal takes Ari and Uzi off to, like, have a day of fun, which is something he used to do with just Richie when they were kids that yeah. Chaz was always jealous For some of. reason. Yeah, which is... <laughs> doesn't yeah, really explain really the random. way he did it with just... Um, oh, I think it was because Chaz was, like, the, the, he was the business-oriented yeah. kid. And he was, it was either because he didn't he felt like he wasn't he wouldn't be interested or, you know... I mean, eventually Chaz, like, <laughs> sues Royal for everything yeah. he has for, like, breaches of contract in the business he was running out of the house kind of thing. Yeah. But he, he takes, Royal takes Ari and Uzi, and one of the activities they do together is they ride on the garbage truck. They, like, hold the handles and ride on the side. And at the end of the movie, we we see them doing that again, and then Chaz kind of pops out <laughs> from behind there Royal. Too. Yeah. He's also holding on to the handles of the garbage Which truck. Which is really fun. Yeah. It was really good. I'm glad that we watched it. Um... I'm excited to see what else we're we're gonna be watching next in the coming weeks. Yeah, hey, it's 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 we're free next week, and I probably won't pick a theme. I'll just pull a movie out. I might do a horror movie. <laughs>